We're in a series called Making Change, and that means making change in the way we deal with our finances. And today's topic is extra, extra. Now, I want to start with a question that we rarely ask ourselves, and, but it's a really important question, and that's this. Why do I have so much? Why do I have extra? Why do I have, probably the best question is, why do I have more than I need? Probably anybody who's listening to me can say, I have more than I need. Now, I don't know, let me just ask, how many of you have been to a third world country? Those of you here. Oh, some of you. Okay. Did you find yourself asking this question after you visited a third world country? Because it really becomes obvious uh, after you do that. Um, Maybe because you feel a little guilty because you have so much and you saw people suffering. We have so many options, so many choices. Um, our oldest grandson, Joel, graduated from high school this week. He went to summer school to graduate uh, early, graduated early. And so we were all going, a bunch of us went out to dinner to celebrate that. And so how many places could we have went out to eat dinner? Just one or two? Um, no. Uh, he got to choose where he went. It wasn't my choice because it was his celebration, and so we went where he wanted to go. But there's so many options. You go to the grocery store, there's so many options on the shelves. Uh, there's so many options of what to do and where to uh, allocate your resources, right? Just so many options and choice. Third world countries, they just don't have those. I'm uh, thinking about parents uh, growing up. Most of us, our parents, didn't have anywhere near as much as we have now. Why do we have so much? Boy, way more than we need. I think it's an important question, especially if you're a Jesus follower, but for everybody. Why do I have so much? Is it just luck? Or is there a, a meaning or purpose or reason for what I have? More likely, though, we're to, we ask this question. Why don't I have more? Because we look at people that do have more than us, and we think, well, why do they have more than I have? Now, maybe you were in a situation sometime in your life where you didn't have a lot. And this was a legitimate question, maybe a legitimate prayer. God, why don't I have more? So if that's a legitimate question when you don't have much, how much more is it to ask, important to ask, why do I have so much? Often we use a phrase, I need, and you fill it in, I need a new pair of shoes. Well, most of us, when we say that, do we really need a new pair of shoes? Um, we would just like a new pair of shoes. Or I need a new car. Well, sometimes things break down. Um, we had to buy a new wash machine last year because our wash machine stopped working. All right, so sometimes you need to buy something. Often we use that phrase, though, it's not really a need, is it? What is it? It's really a want, right? Now, want's an interesting word because want is an artificial sense of need, right? I didn't really need that new car, that new pair of shoes, so it's artificial. Now, what happens is, 
Because of that artificial need, we buy something, and then it becomes a need to pay for it, especially something like a car. If you got a car payment, all of a sudden now you need to have this money to pay that car payment. The problem with, need, with want is this. Want is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. Well, it's satisfied temporarily. Let's just say it that way. It's like an appetite. I get hungry, and I can eat as much as I want, but before the day is over, guess what? I want to eat again, and probably I want to eat more, don't I? The more you feed an appetite, the more it grows instead of goes away. And so, in fact, somebody shared with this in our first service that uh, spending became an appetite, and especially now with online shopping, <laughs> uh, it's so easy to do. So, be careful of want. In fact, there's a Bible verse for those of us Jesus followers that God will supply all our needs, right? And so we've said at the beginning of this series, you can't follow Jesus. We're talking about being Jesus followers. You can't follow Jesus and remain financially lost because you spend your time in that lostness and you can't follow Jesus. So again, why? Why do I have so much? Well, fortunately for us, Jesus tells us why. In fact, he tells a story, we call him parable, to answer that question. So this is in Luke chapter 12. Uh, <clears throat> he's done some teaching and then he's interrupted. A person in the crowd got Jesus' attention. Hey, 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 Jesus, teacher, in this case he called him teacher, intervene. I need you to intervene and tell my brother to share the family inheritance with me. Evidently, the brother wasn't sharing, or wasn't sharing as much as this brother wanted. He thought it wasn't fair. You ever use that term? It's not fair. So he's come to Jesus and asked him to intervene, ask him to go to this brother and, and with whatever authority he has as a rabbi, maybe force or guilt this brother into giving him more money. So, we don't know, but it sounds like it might be a fair request. How does Jesus reply? Man, said another guy, didn't know his name, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you and your brother? That's not my responsibility. Um, then he switches to what we'd say is a higher issue than this guy's inheritance. Now, let me ask you kind of a trick question. How many of you would say you are greedy? Raise your hand. I got one or two, three. Wow. I don't have people at home put their hand up. Okay. Because Jesus is going to take this opportunity to talk about being greedy. And greedy is really hard to see in the mirror. So I'm surprised I got three hands. <laughs> so, let's pick up the story. He said, then he said to them, warning, warning, danger, danger. <laughs> Watch out. Well, what am I supposed to be watching out for? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So there's not just one kind of greed. <laughs> Uh, so probably all of us better put up our hand because we've got one kind of greed or, an greed or another kind. And then he says life. And by life he means 
meaningful, fruitful, purposeful life. Does not. He doesn't tell us what it consists of. He tells us what it doesn't consist of, because this is where our trap is, especially if we're greedy. Doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. We all have an abundance of possessions. I don't know, maybe my sister who's only a year younger than me can verify this. Growing up, did you remember seeing all these storage units all around? I don't think there were any. This is the 60s, okay? Now there's storage units everywhere. You can't drive only a couple miles down the road and there's some storage units. Now, I... Some people legitimately need a storage unit. They've downsized and they've got to put their stuff or they're temporary, don't have a place to live. But come on. Do we need that many storage units? Why do we have that many? Why is that a great business to be in? Because we have an abundance. We have so much stuff that we can't fit it in our residence that we have to put it in one of these storage units, and we pay money to put it there, right? The money just to store our stuff. And advertisers, what is their job? Their job is to convince us <laughs> that the stuff we have isn't going to produce a happy life, fulfilling life, and you have to buy this newer, brighter, faster, bigger thing to have uh, a, a satisfying life. So our hearts become very vulnerable to what Jesus is going to call greed. Now, the definition I like of greed is this. It's the assumption that, all, that it's all for my consumption. Whatever I can get my hands on, whether you give it to me, I earn it, I work for it, I buy it, whatever. If I can get my hands on it, it's for me. It's for my consumption. Kind of a crazy idea, but imagine there's aliens out there watching us here on Earth, especially Americans. What conclusion are they going to come to when, after they've watched us for a while? Well, all their life seems to be about consuming stuff. What other conclusion could, could they come to? So, Jesus is going to address the topic of greed. So, he tells them a story, a parable. We call it a parable. <clears throat> the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, we talked about a rich man that hired somebody to take care of his estate last week. Uh, using a rich man is again as an example here. This guy has, a, a, we would say, a, a farm. And the farm's doing really well. It comes harvest time, and he's got great harvest. Now, I don't know of anybody else in our society that depends more, and if you're not a Jesus follower, you might use the word luck, uh, uh, but we would say dependent upon God for their success because what does a farmer need to have abundant harvest? He needs good weather, right? He needs the right amount of, of rain. Not too little, not too much. It'll ruin his harvest. Who controls the weather? The farmer doesn't. God does. So God has chosen to bless this man. All right? That's a great place to be, right? Whatever your business is, to prosper in your business, that's a great place to be. So, what's the man going to do? Well, mind starts to work and he says, what am I going to do? I've got all this, all this crop and I've got a problem is I don't have a place to store it all. Um, 
this much crop and only this much storage space. What am I going to do? God's blessed me with this. Now, most of us would say this is a dream come true, right? <laughs> to be prosperous in my business. And nothing wrong with being prosperous. But Jesus calls this man greedy. And, and one way to interpret that is this way. Since I earned it, it's my farm, I planted this, and I harvested it. Since I earned it, I own it. This extra is all mine. It's all for me. So what's he going to do? Got all this extra. I don't have room for it. What am I going to do? It. Ah, I've got a plan. I've got an idea. I know what I'm going to do. Then he said to him, this is what I'll do. That's literally what the text says. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Maybe, I don't know, we had to tear it down here to build a barn there. And there I will store my extra, my surplus grain. So he had a plan, right? I've got more crops than I can store, so I'll build bigger barns so I can store all this stuff because it's all for me. And then he said, I'll say to myself, all right, I've got it made. Um, I have plenty of grain laid up for many years, okay? So some of you are retired, getting close to that age or time when I will. Um, and then hopefully I'll have many years after that to enjoy what I've worked for during my lifetime. And some of you are in that situation now. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's, that's commendable. I can take life easy, stop working, I'm assuming, eat, drink, and be merry. Most of you probably know that phrase, <laughs> eat, drink, and be merry. But this guy made one big mistake. We would say a fatal mistake. But God. You heard the expression, you want to make God laugh? Tell him your plan. This guy wouldn't be laughing because God said to him, you fool. Now, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Like we say, most of us would look up to this guy. He was a good businessman. So why is Jesus saying he's a fool? Because you're going to die this very night. Ooh, wow. Well, I can plan for my future here on earth. I can plan physically to take care of myself, but can I guarantee myself any amount of time? You know, I'm going to retire and I'm going to spend the next 20 years in retirement. Can I guarantee I'm going to have 20 years in retirement? Nobody can do that. So, why is this man a fool? Was he a fool because he was a prosperous and a good farmer and, and had extra? No, 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 no. Put on your outline. He's not a fool for having extra. That was God's blessing to him. But for thinking, extra was just for him. So it goes back to our question. Why do I have so much? Why did this man have so much? Again, it's a hypothetical story, but there are people like that. As it turns out, he was, as we've been using the phrase, financially lost. He wasn't financially lost, but we were talking about us being financially lost. But he didn't know it. He was lost in a different way. He didn't know it until it was too late to do anything 
about it, right? Because once you're dead, you, there's nothing else you can do. So I came up with possible solution to this scenario for this man and for you and I. Develop a lifestyle that stops chasing your income. I mean, you and I, over the years, we've gotten raises in our jobs, and our, our uh, standard of living does what? We buy bigger stuff, build bigger houses, nicer cars. Our lifestyle chases our income. No, no, no. The solution is develop a lifestyle that doesn't chase your income. So, he, he goes on and talks about, yes, a person is a fool if he does what this man did. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but, but God again, but not have a rich relationship with God. So he prepared for his physical future, which he didn't have, and he didn't prepare for his eternal future, which we all have. He didn't make eternal preparations. There's more to this universe than what we can see. So ultimately, this man had a total loss. He lost all his physical wealth. Why? Because he gave it away? Because he died. <laughs> he didn't have any choice. And then he was lost spiritually. Now, the next 10 verses or so, Jesus goes into a discussion of a topic that we're all familiar with, worry. Especially when it comes to finances, right? Probably the area we worry about the most. So I got to thinking about this. Again, Jesus promised us to supply all my needs. So if I worry about my needs, could that be defined as greed? Now, what are riches in heaven or be rich in your relationship with God? We talked about this last week. I think faith brings about eternal riches. I think obedience does. But the fascinating thing is Jesus answers this for us in the text. So skip down through the verses about worry. You can go and read those for yourself. They're really good. And then he says something that's maybe going to be a little uncomfortable for you and I. This is down in verse 33. Sell your possessions and give it to those in need. Now, it doesn't say sell all your possessions. But I think if there is a need that you're aware of, that you feel that you can help and should help, even to the point where maybe you should sell some of your possessions to help meet that need. And he says, if you and I do this, this, this what? Giving to those in need, this will store up treasures for you in heaven. And then he, you know, this treasure, you can't lose it. The, the, and the, <clears throat> the, excuse me, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your money can't fall out of your pocket, the purse. Your treasure will be saved. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. And then a verse we've used each week. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also our heart on possessions 
is our heart on God. So I have a hypothetical statement from God I made up. <laughs> and here it is. You know what? God, theoretically speaking, I want you to be rich toward me first. That should be your priority. That should be most important to you. Do you know why I want you to do that? Because I have been so rich towards you. I've been so rich towards you. Like I said, all of us have more stuff than we need. So we're rich that way. And I gave my son. I sacrificed my son so that you could have this relationship with me. You could spend eternity with me in heaven. Now, I need a volunteer from the crowd. Somebody that likes cookies. I got somebody in the first service that loves cookies. Quickly, I need somebody who loves cookies. All right, got somebody who loves cookies. All right. Now, I've got two cookies up here. I'm assuming he would like one of them, but I don't want to give him one. So what I want you to do, all to do, I want you to pray that when he leaves today, somebody will give him a cookie because I want to keep both of these cookies for myself. Now, remember when you were a child, and if you had two cookies and your buddy came over or your neighbor came over, what would your mother tell you? Share. Okay. I'm going to share with Eric. He can have one. Yeah, he's only getting one. He's not getting both of them. All right, thank you, Eric. Now, that's obvious, easy for us to understand, right? Now, here's the difficult part. Can you imagine God up in heaven and seeing you and I with all our cookies? And there's people without cookies. So what would God say to us? Share, right? So, if God has blessed you with more than you need, and probably everyone here is in that situation, everybody watching, it's... He's got a reason he's giving it to you. It's so you and I can share it with those who have less than they need. So, again, life, real life, meaningful life, purposeful life does not consist in the abundance of possession. Our culture, our society, advertisers try and tell us that, and it's easy to fall into that trap. And there's a certain thrill or kick to that stuff, right? But again, want is never satisfied. So what really brings about meaningful, purposeful life? And I think what Jesus is telling us, it's by giving it away. Because Jesus is our example. We're supposed to follow him. What did Jesus do with his life? gave it away. He gave it away to the point of death. He gave his life so you and I can live, that you and I can have a relation, eternal relationship with God in heaven. So, what I'd like all of us to do, and I know it's maybe not the most comfortable thing to do, is to wrestle with this question. Why? Why? Why do I have so much? Why do I have more than I need? Why do I have extra? Somebody brought us some extra vegetables from their garden. Uh, love this time of the year. We don't have a garden. We live in the woods. We couldn't grow one. 
and we eat a lot of fresh vegetables, and people give them to us. So they are sharing. They have so much they can share it with other people. I'm not that needy, but I certainly enjoy it. Now, this question is not about producing guilt. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to figure out why. Is there a reason? Am I just lucky? <laughs> Am I just fortunate? Well, if you're a Jesus follower, we don't believe in luck. God has, we use the term, blessed me with more than I need. And as we said last week, it's kind of a test, right? <laughs> it's a test. Okay, God's given to me. What am I going to do with it? We use the word, like they use the word generous. Are you going to be generous with what you have? Great thing about generosity, it breaks the, the shackles of greed. <clears throat> so we've asked during this series, what is the opposite of lost? And we say found, but it's more complicated than that, right? It's realizing where you are. First, realizing that you're lost. You ever been lost and didn't know you were lost? Probably all been there, right? Driving down the road thinking you're going to the right place, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm lost. So first you have to realize where you are, that you're lost. And then once you do, what, what do you got to figure out? Well, how to get unlost or how to get back or get to the place you want to go. So we've been telling you each week, to keep track of where your money goes, to figure out if you're lost or how lost you are, right? So let's focus a little bit on getting back or getting where we want to go. Dave Ramsey, lots of people teach this. Priority list. Give first, save second, and live on the rest. He would call it 10, 10, 80. I think the first two numbers need to be bigger. You know what a lot of people do? They'll, you know, put a few dollars in the offering plate or support this, give a few dollars for this, you know, medical need or this medical need. And then something like Katrina will happen, some disaster. And then people will send checks and millions of dollars will flood in to help those folks. And if you wrote one of those checks, how, how do you feel about yourself? Do you feel greedy? Feel generous. I'm so generous. I just sent $100. To help those people in Louisiana. But what am I doing with 99% of my stuff? It's all for my consumption. That was our definition of greed, wasn't it? Now, I mentioned giving at 10%. That's Old Testament called tithing. One of my idols is, or was, well, he used to live, he's still my idol, was Charles Spurgeon. He was a great preacher in England in the 1800s. And he said this, he said, the law, the Old Testament, the law says give 10%. Now, I live under grace, and by the way, I'm going to start talking about grace in a couple of weeks. I live under grace. Grace is at least twice as good as the law, so he used to give 20%. Now, the way we, my wife and I do it, we, we give the 10%, then we give offering, and then we have also benevolence. You can do it however you want, but to me, those that first two should be more than 10%, but minimum of 10%. Now, if you don't give 10%, you probably can't or won't start there. But give a percentage. Um, and then live on the rest. Live on less than 
5% of what's left. Because most of us have lots of cookies. What did our parents tell to us? Share. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for the story. Thank you that it's recorded for us and we can learn from it. Uh, probably all of us can thank you for a surplus. We all have extra, extra. And in those of us who are Jesus followers, but for all of us, it's important that we not be greedy. None of us want to be greedy. That we see this surplus as, oh, I have more than I need. Makes sense to help somebody that doesn't have all they need. Not out of guilt or shame, but just out of common sense. So God, this is tough. We all like stuff. And there's nothing wrong with having nice stuff. But we need to share with those in need. God, I, I, I pray that I'm not greedy. I'm sure it creeps in at times. But I thank you for the wisdom and the, and the growth that you give me to be in a place I am financially. And I want to pray for some folks that are, they're lost. Uh, they're either underwater, uh, living paycheck to paycheck, spending more than they make, whatever it might be. I pray, God, that they, want, they come to understand life isn't about stuff. And if we just be good managers, we can get to a place where we have surplus and we can share with others. And that is true life. And it brings eternal, ever, eternal lasting benefits. Don't exactly understand exactly what all that is, but God, you promise us that. And if somebody's not a Jesus follower, we also want to pray for them. They'd come to the understanding that there's an almighty God out there, and he loved me enough to send his son to die for me, and, and I'm just floundering around at this life trying to figure it out on my own. And I'm in a, separated from God by this shortcomings in my life, we call it sin. I can't fix it, but God, you've already provided the cure, the solution, the payment. If I accept it, believe, just believe and accept that gift. So we pray that you would do that today. You'd accept that gift. Become one of God's children. Sin's forgiven. Eternity promised. Father God, we thank you that you love us enough to provide for here and, and provide for eternity. In your son's Jesus' name we pray. Amen.